Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Um, in the church world right now, today is known as Pentecost Sunday. Jesus has already come, right? He's lived a perfect life on the earth and he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He is known as our high priest who makes atonement for us. And he is a high priest who empathizes with us and knows our weaknesses because he came to earth as a man in order to redeem men. You see, God gave authority to men, to a man, to Adam specifically, the first man in the Garden of Eden. God gave man that authority. And Adam then lost his authority when he listened to, when he obeyed the voice of Satan, for the Bible says that you are a slave in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, you are a slave to the one whom you obey. So when Adam chose to listen to Satan's word and Satan's voice through his wife, when he chose to listen to that voice over God's voice, then Satan became his master. Satan became his God and the crown that God had placed on Adam's head and the authority that God had given to Adam to have dominion over the earth, Adam then gave to Satan by default when he obeyed him. For you are a slave or you are, or you are servant to the one whom you obey. So then Adam obeyed Satan, he forfeits his rights, he, he loses his rights and his authority, and now Satan becomes the God of this world, the God of this age. For the Bible tells us that you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. So Adam despised God when he listened to Satan's voice. So because God gave authority to man in Genesis 1 and verse 28 and cannot violate his word, he needed a better Adam, a second Adam, a righteous man to come and restore man to the position which he had lost. And Jesus was that man. He was that man clothed in physical flesh. He was God in the flesh. And yes, that's a great mystery. The Bible tells us that in First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. God in flesh. Crazy. So God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and he was received up in glory. First Timothy 3 and verse 16. So he came, Jesus came. He laid down his life willingly by death on a cross, but death could not hold him, praise God. And death didn't hold him because death couldn't hold him. In three days, Jesus rose again from the dead, proving to the world that death had been defeated and no longer has the power it once had from the days of Adam. Death was swallowed up by Christ's victory over it. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared on the earth for 40 days, revealing himself to those who he chose to reveal himself to. And then he appeared to, he appeared to the apostles during that time. He appeared to uh, many women during that time. And he appeared to over 500 people, the Bible tells us, at once. 
And finally, on day 40, before Jesus ascends to heaven to remain until his second coming, we have this recorded account in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, which I'm about to read to you right now. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. This is day 40. Jesus has appeared on 40 days to men and women and the apostles and to the 500. And now this is right before he leaves. And Acts 1, 4 through 9 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want to read that again, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 9, now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Amen. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to those who believed in him. And Jesus had much to say about the Holy Spirit while he was on earth. In John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said this. He said, and I will pray the Father and he will give to you another helper. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he is with you and will be in you but you know him for he's with you he's beside you but he will be in you jesus also said in john uh, chapter 14 and verse 18 he says i will not leave you as orphans but i will come to you so the disciples they had this time with jesus three and a half years with him they they walked with him they ate with him they laid next to him and they did life with him for three and a half years. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is speaking about going away and the disciples, they're concerned. They're thinking to themselves, man, what's going to happen once you leave? And Jesus says to them, he says, listen, I'm going to pray to the father and the father is going to send you a helper. He's going to send you the comforter and he will be with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you alone by yourselves, but I will come to you through the spirit of God, through the Holy Spirit. So this is the promise that Jesus made to his disciples. And then John 14 and verse 26, Jesus has more to say about the Holy Spirit. He says, but the helper, also known as the Holy Spirit, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send, he will, absolutely, he will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you, everything that I taught you, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance at the appointed time when you need it. 
praise God. And in John 16 and verse 7, Jesus also said to his, to his disciples, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He says, it is to your advantage. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Listen to that. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's, it's better for you. It's more expedient for you. It is more beneficial to you that I go away and the helper and the spirit come. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying right here in this verse, it is better for you. It's better for you for me to go and the Holy Spirit be here. He's saying that is better for you. That is more beneficial to you that I go and the Spirit come. Many would have loved to have walked beside Jesus and ate with Jesus in the flesh and embraced Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus says right here that it's, it's better. He's saying better than me by your side is the Holy Spirit in you. Better than me next to you is the Spirit of God in you. You see, Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. And you have to understand that when Jesus was here, Jesus was not omnipresent. He was not in all places at all times. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. So if Jesus was having a conversation with James and with Peter and with John over here in this corner, then he couldn't be having a conversation with Thomas and Nathaniel and Philip over here, right? He could only have a conversation with them if they were in the same room, a part of the same conversation. But today, the Spirit of God can be with us here in the USA as we worship God and the spirit can be in my home country of London, England, worshiping with um, in the presence of those who are worshiping him there. The spirit of God can be in Ethiopia. The spirit of God can be in Asia. The spirit of God can be all places at all times as we worship him. So that is amazing for us as believers that we have 100% access to the Spirit of God and that we can worship Him anywhere because He's there. That is an amazing promise. And Jesus is saying, it's better that I go and I send the Spirit and the Father send the Spirit and the Spirit be here. In John 16 and verse 8, the Bible says, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's something else that the Holy Spirit will do. And that brings us then to today, Pentecost. Pentecost, Pentecost, Pentecost. What is Pentecost as we celebrate that today on the church calendar? Well, there were three major annual festivals that all Jewish males were required to attend, right? The first was Passover, which commemorated the final plague of Egypt when the firstborn of the Egyptians died and the Israelites were spared because of their obedience to smear the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. We've spoken about that quite a bit. But the second of the three annual festivals was Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, and the Day of First Fruits. 
So again, the day of Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, and also the Day of First Fruits. And it was celebrated seven complete weeks or 50 days after Passover. Therefore, it was given the name Pentecost. And essentially, it was a harvest celebration. And the term weeks was used of the period of grain harvest from the barley harvest to the wheat harvest, which was a period of about seven weeks. And the Lord was credited as the source of rain, the source and the provider of rain and of fertility. So he was worshipped and he was praised because of that. And it was called the day of first fruits because it marked the beginning of the time that people were to bring their offerings and their first fruits to God. And it was celebrated as a Sabbath with rest from ordinary labors and the calling of a holy convocation, a holy gathering was how they celebrated that day and worshiped God on that day. And it was ultimately a feast of joy and thanksgiving for the completion of the harvest season. Again, it was ultimately a feast of joy and thanksgiving for the completion of the harvest season. And the third annual feast was the Day of Atonement, which we won't speak about today. So then Pentecost Sunday in the book of Acts and today is a commemoration and celebration of the first fruits of the church. This is not the, the first fruits of the, of the harvest back then, of the, of the wheat and the grain. But today it represents, and in Acts chapter 2, it represented the first fruits of the church, which is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist prophesied of the first Pentecost when Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. So let's read what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The event in Acts chapter 2 was a day of Pentecost like no other day before it. It's the birth of the church and it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's the birth of the church and it's the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the earth in a new way. He's come to fill the hearts of men and women. So why don't we go ahead and jump into that. So today, I would like the text to do most of the speaking for us. So go ahead and find Acts chapter 2. But again, I want the text to do most of the speaking for us. So we're going to read the text together. We're going to read the entire chapter. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through His Word. Father, we thank you so much for Acts chapter 2. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Acts chapter 2 is a long chapter, and I pray ultimately, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher this morning, that you would speak through the reading of your word as I pause on a few verses and mention a few things. But I pray that we would get the, the revelation, that we would get the overview of Acts chapter 2. We thank you that this is the day of Pentecost, the day of your spirit coming and filling the hearts of men and women. This is your spirit coming in a new way. This is the outpouring of your spirit. So we thank you for Acts chapter 2. We thank you for the day of Pentecost. And Lord, we give this time into your hands and we give the reading and teaching of your word into your hands. Be magnified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to pay attention to the text in Acts chapter 2. The text is divided into four parts. You have the coming of the Holy Spirit in verses 1 
through four. Then you have the crowd's response to the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in verses five through 13. And then you have Peter's sermon in verses 14 through 39. And then finally, you have the birth and the growth of the church in verse 40 through verse 47. So let's read now Acts chapter 1, the coming of the Holy Spirit, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, We'd spoken about that already. That's the, that's the seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49. That's the completion of the harvest when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now day 50, they were all with one accord in one place. They were unified. They were in the upper room. They were with one accord in one place, verse 2, and suddenly... They were here and they were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised them. And then suddenly, verse 2, there came a sound from heaven. They had no idea when this would happen, but they were tarrying in the upper room. And they were there for days and days. Jesus left on day 40 and on day 50 was when the Holy Spirit came so it was 10 days after Jesus ascended that the Holy Spirit came and it was suddenly on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit came and a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind it was loud and it filled the whole house where they were sitting then there appeared to them divided Divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pause there for a moment. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting. And now the promise of Jesus has been fulfilled within the upper room and they first heard the Spirit. As of a mighty rushing wind, they first heard the Spirit. Then they saw with their eyes the manifestation of the Spirit. They first heard the Spirit, then they saw the manifestation of the Spirit. As of fire. They felt the Spirit, and then they were used by the Spirit. So first they heard the Spirit, then they saw the manifestation of the Spirit, and then they felt the Spirit, and then they were used by the Spirit as they began to speak in other tongues. Wind was symbolic of God's Spirit. God spoke to Job through a whirlwind. The spirit blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So will it be for all of those who are born of the spirit, the, the spirit of God, the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where 
it's going, but we are to flow with the wind. We are to go with the wind of the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. And fire was symbolic of God's presence. Fire was many times symbolic of God's presence. And our God, the Bible says, is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. And fire was symbolic of God's presence. Moses in a burning bush. It's where he met God. God was manifest as a burning bush. There was his presence. And God told Moses, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Why? Because he was there. So Moses in the burning bush, Elijah on Mount Carmel, when he challenged the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, let the God who answers by fire, he is God. And fire came down and consumed the prophets of Baal. And Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire into the presence of God. And we also know that on Mount Sinai, when God gave the law, that there was lightning and thunder and fire and smoke when God gave the law. And then we also know that God led his people through the wilderness. He led them with a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night is how he led his people through the wilderness for 40 years. So the Jews would have understood and been familiar with these symbols as the presence of God. They would have understood the, the wind and the fire, what it meant that God's presence is in this place. Surely God is in this place. Surely God is here. Verse 5, let's move on. This is now the crowd's response to the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has now come. He has fallen on the day of Pentecost. Praise God. And the Spirit is available today for you and I. But now this is how the crowd responds to the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the sound of the rushing mighty wind, which we just spoke of. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Now, the Galileans were known as being um, uneducated and not very well spoken. So now they're hearing Galileans speaking perfectly uh, in their in their native tongue. Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it, verse 8, that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? How on earth are these folks who are Galileans, how do we hear each of them speaking in our, in our own language in which we were born? Verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. We hear them praising 
God. We hear them worshipping and praising the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? But while they amazed and were perplexed, verse 13, there were others who mocking said they are full of new wine. <laughs> it's interesting, this, this amazing phenomena takes place. And the folks, many of them, they're amazed because they know that these folks are Galileans. But now they're speaking perfectly within their native tongues. And you have to understand that at the day of Pentecost, uh, Jews would come from all over, from all over the world. Jews would travel three days, seven days journey, but Jews would travel from all over. The, the countries that I just read and the nations that I just read, they would come all over because again, it, it, was, it was required that the Jewish people would attend these three annual feasts, right? That they would attend Passover, that they would attend the, um, the Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Weeks, that they would attend these festivals. It was important for them to attend. So that's why you have Jews from different places in one place, in the same place. So the Jews have arrived here, they've traveled a long journey, and now they're saying, man, whatever could this mean? But then you have some folks who, because they can't explain it, they result to their ignorance, and they say, oh yeah, they must be drunk. They have no, they have no sensible or no logical explanation. They have no argument to, to debate what is happening. So they result to, um, to disrespect and ignorance. And they say, oh yeah, they just must be drunk. But that doesn't even make sense because if they were drunk, I haven't known any drunk person to, to speak perfectly in foreign languages when they are drunk. But that's their, that's their excuse. They have no better argument. So they just, they attempt to attack them. So they say they must just be drunk. These folks, they're drunk. They've been drinking too much. So they're gathered in one place and some of the Jews are amazed by this and others they begin to mock and they're, and they're laughing at them. And it's interesting that the Spirit of God is doing this, but yet they're mocking the very work of God and the very work that the Spirit is doing. And I would say that many folks today in 2020 mock the things of God. They mock spiritual things and they find it funny. Uh, and they mock uh, folks who, who believe in the moving of the Spirit and, and who believe in the giftings of the Spirit. You have church folks today in 2020, and it's sad. And they have, they have no logical arguments. Um, they, they have some arguments, but they're not logical and they're not scripturally uh, based. Um, so what they do is they laugh and they mock folks that, that believe in the power of God and believe in the things of the Spirit, just like the, 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 the unbelieving Jews did here. So also I see from this text, right, that there are two ways to do missions, right? In, in 2020, there are two ways to do missions, right? You can, you can go out, right, which is, which is good and that's biblical, right? We, we go to the nations, right? Or you can see who's around you and empower them and send them out. Here we have in 
Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. We have folks that came from all of these different places that we spoke about. We have uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia who showed up, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. We have um, those from Phrygia and Pamphylia, from Egypt and different parts of Libya uh, adjoining Cyrene. We have visitors that came from Rome. We have those that came from, uh, uh, from we have the Cretans and the Arabs. We have Folks that came from all over the world and, they, and here they are in one place. And we're going to see in a moment that Peter is going to preach the gospel to them. By the way, when they were speaking in tongues, they were not preaching the gospel. Some people say, you know, uh, you know that's the purpose of, of speaking in tongues. They were not preaching the gospel, they were praising God. They were speaking in tongues and they were glorifying God. But, pre but Peter is about to preach the gospel in just a moment and he does that in English. Right? So, um, well, he does that in, in his... In his language right so he um, so he does that in in his native tongue but many here in um, in verses 5 through through 13 we can see that many arrive in this place and we see that there are two ways to do missions right and I love the uh, the strategy right here folks came to Israel and the gospel is going to be preached and guess what they're going to go out and now the gospel is going to reach all these different places that I just mentioned. And that's why in the book of Acts, when you read on and the apostle uh, Peter, the apostle Paul goes to certain regions and guess what? He finds believers there. How does he find believers in these certain places? Well, I would say from the day of Pentecost, the, the Jews that came and heard the word and heard the gospel, they went back and they believed that word and they spread that word. So there were already believers uh, in certain places before even Peter, Paul, showed up. So, um, now let's get into Peter's sermon right here. His sermon to the multitudes. The, the speaking in tongues grew a crowd. And now here is what Peter will do with that crowd. So the speaking in tongues brought everyone together and they were amazed at what was happening. And it drew the crowd. But now what is Peter going to do? with that crowd well he's going to preach the gospel what do you do when you have a crowd before you what do you do when you have a group of folks before you what do you do how do you respond to them what peter does is he says man i'm going to use this as an opportunity to preach the gospel and this is the same peter remember who was timid who was shy who denied jesus three times Right. I've I've loved the journey that we've been on with Peter. We've watched him be timid and afraid and deny Jesus in front of a little servant girl. And now here he is. And there are multitudes. There are thousands of people before him. And this man's not timid. He's not ashamed. But he's been empowered with the spirit. And that's where that boldness comes from. So now here he is. And he's about to preach he's about to 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 teach the people uh, about Jesus Christ and he's no longer ashamed and he's no longer afraid so he proclaims the gospel here and again I'm so proud of of Peter he's been he's been empowered with the Holy Spirit and he is unashamed so verse 14 let's pick up but Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. 
But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The King James Version says, but this is that. I love that. It says, but this is that. This is that which was spoken. So, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And I love verse 16 right here. Peter is saying, what you see us doing right now, what we are involved in right now is scriptural. This was prophesied in, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. In, in Joel chapter 2, this was prophesied. So what you see us doing, what's before your eyes right now is prophecy. And we're walking that out. So this is that. Everything that we do, we should have a scriptural basis for it. Everything that we do and we practice, we should be able to say, this is that. This is that which is written. This is that which was written here. This is that which was practiced over here. We must have a scriptural basis for everything that we do and everything that we practice. There must be a scriptural basis. It cannot be based on our thoughts, opinions, or our experiences. But everything that we practice and we preach and teach and proclaim as truth must be that which is found in the scriptures. So I love this, but this is that, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel that you see before you right now. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass, this is the prophecy in Joel chapter 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the, and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Huh. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is coming a day. There is coming a day that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. Peter is speaking here to a Jewish audience who are still anticipating the Messiah. Peter knows exactly who his audience is. He knows exactly who they are. He says, men of Israel, I want you to hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. He's speaking to a Jewish audience who are still anticipating a Messiah. The 120 Jews in the upper room, they believed. But these are the Jews who do not believe. And Peter now will explain to the Jewish people why, why Jesus is Lord. And he will give them some proofs of that. He will give them three proofs in his sermon. And he says here, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. First proof by miracles, 
wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. The first proof he's giving is he's giving the miracles, the wonders and the signs that Jesus did on the earth like no one before him. The miracle signs and wonders, he's saying this is proof that he is the Messiah for we know that the Messiah will do miracle signs and wonders which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose. Man, verse 23, powerful. Peter has some understanding and some revelation now by the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells on the inside of him. And verse 23, he says, him, meaning Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. I'm going to read that again. Man, this is uh, rich. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Real quick, Peter right here in verse 23, he unites the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man within the same package. He unites right here within verse 23, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man in the same package. He marries the two, he merges the two. Peter right here in verse 23, he understands that God is sovereign and man is responsible. End of debate. God is sovereign and man is responsible. We see it right here. End of debate. We have the divine perspective here and we have the human perspective merged together. Him, Christ, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken... It was destined, it was supposed to be, but you have taken by lawless hands. You have done it. You have murdered him. Have crucified and put him to death. And there will be a price that you will pay for that. When we look at Judas, we know that it was prophecy. We know that it was ordained, preordained. But we also know that Jesus said it would have been better for him if he was never born. Because Judas still had a, a role to play in that. Yes, we have the sovereignty of God, but it would have been better, Jesus said, if Judas was never even born. So we have the sovereignty of God at work, but we also have man's responsibility. Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This is proof number two, it's the resurrection. Proof number one is the miracle signs and wonders in Peter's sermon. And proof number two is whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. We spoke about that before. Proof number two is the resurrection. Death could not hold him. Romans 6 and verse 23, the, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Sin could not hold 
Christ because he was without sin. Death could not hold Christ because he was without sin. Proof number two is the resurrection. He's speaking to a Jewish audience and he's saying Christ is the Messiah because of the miracle signs and wonders that he's done, but also because he's risen. You see, these folks still believe that he was dead. And, and Peter is proclaiming to them right now. He's saying, he rose, he's alive, he's risen. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, and now he's about to quote Psalm 16. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. This is Peter's third point interjected here. Uh, David's, his third point is David's prophecy and that the Messiah coming from David's line and that he would rule forever as God had promised. This is David's, this is Peter's third point. Excuse me, this is his third point, Peter's third point. David's prophecy that the, that the Messiah coming from David's line, that he would come from David's line and that he would rule forever as God had promised. Verse 30 again, Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exhorted to the right hand of God, and having, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, again, he's using David as a witness. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, David said this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Huh. That's deep. So Peter is speaking to a Jewish audience and he says, therefore, let me sum this up. Let me be clear about this. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, 
what shall we do? Let's pause there. How do you respond when you are confronted with truth? How do you respond when you are confronted with truth? What is your response? We read in Acts chapter 7, if you remember, that the Jewish people are also same terminology, same wording used. In Acts chapter 7, we will read that the Jewish people, they were also cut to the heart because of Stephen's sermon. When, when Stephen spoke to them about God and about Christ being the Messiah and about how they crucified the Messiah, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. And you know how they responded to that in Acts chapter 7? They stoned Stephen. That's how they respond to Stephen proclaiming the gospel and the truth to them. The Bible says they were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth. And they ran at him and they begin to stone him. That's how they responded. But I love here in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says they were cut to the heart and then they said to Peter, this is many of them, I kind of see them crying out, right? You have thousands of people. This is not just one person. And many of them, they're convicted by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is here now. They're convicted by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will convict you of these things. And they're convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I see like many of them crying out. And they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? They don't stone Peter here, but they say, what shall we do? So how do you respond when you are confronted with truth? How, you, how do you respond when, when your theology is challenged? How do you respond when your ideologies are, are challenged, when your, when your doctrines are challenged, when your um, mindset, when your opinions are challenged? How do you respond to that? When people get in your face and confront your beliefs and your lifestyle, how do you respond? Verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Yeah, this is the response. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent today and be baptized. Peter's sermon is my sermon. Repent and be baptized. Allow the text to speak to you. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We're not waiting for him to come. He has already come and he has proven it by the miracle signs and wonders. He's proven it by the resurrection. He's risen. He's proven it by the prophecies of David. And, and there are so many other prophecies that I can share with you, but just sticking to Acts chapter 2, um, believe on him and repent today of your sins. And we close with verse 40 through 47, the birth and the growth of the church. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse 
generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Are you listening? That day, the Bible says about 3,000 souls were added to them. Do you remember when the law was given? I'm not going to spend too much time here, but just quickly, do you, do you remember when the Lord, when the law was given? When the law was given that day, 3,000 people died. When the law was given the same day that Moses came off the mountain and the law was given to the people, 3,000 people died that day because of the law. And here we have on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was given, when the Spirit came down, for the Spirit is life. The Bible says 3,000 people were saved. That's powerful. When the law was given, 3,000 people died. But when the Spirit came, 3,000 people were saved and received life. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. My goodness, look at this. They all came together, they believed, they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord, I love the unity of the early church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved praise God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved praise God so here we are that's Acts chapter 2 kind of raced through that but you can see how rich that is how powerful that is that's what happened on the day of Pentecost this all took place the same day they were waiting in the upper room the Holy Spirit filled 120 people they went out into the streets they began to speak in tongues the people heard them not preaching the gospel they heard them praising and worshiping God the wonderful works of God but they heard them the different people within their individual languages they heard them speaking and then what happened is a crowd formed some began to mock saying ah they're drunk but a crowd formed and Peter took advantage of the crowd and he stands up and he's bold, the righteous are as bold as a lion and he preaches this sermon that I just went through. He preaches the gospel to them and he preaches to a Jewish audience and he says, hey listen, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me give you some, some evidence of that, the miracle signs and wonders that he did. The miracle signs and wonders, the resurrection, he's no longer dead, but he rose. These Jews, they didn't know that. So they had heard that from Peter. He, he indeed is risen. And he used David as well as an example. David's prophecies and the Messiah coming from David's line and sitting on his throne and, and being a king forever. So he used David as well. 
and he preached the gospel to them and the Bible says 3,000 people were saved that very day. 3,000 Jewish people believed in Christ and these people they went to the ends of the earth. They went and they took the gospel, they took the good news, they believed and they took it back to their cities and to their towns, to their nations and to their countries and the church was born that day. Some went, some left and some remained. The 120, the first church was birthed on the day of Pentecost and the Bible says the Lord added to their number every single day. Praise God. So the day of Pentecost, it's the first fruits of the church. It is the beginning of the church. And now here we are, the Way City Church, we're planting churches 2,000 years later. Praise the Lord. So the day of Pentecost, this is where it all began for us. So we praise God for the Spirit of the Lord that is on the earth and is with us. The Spirit of the Lord is with us. God bless you and why don't we go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for Acts chapter 2. I love your word. Your word is amazing. And there are so many other things that we could have focused on today, but thank you for the things that we hit today. And Lord, I thank you. Uh, Jesus, you did not go into ministry until you were filled with the Holy Spirit. You were baptized somewhere around 29 and a half years old. You were baptized and then we see the Spirit descending upon you like a dove. And then immediately the Spirit led you into the wilderness and then you began your ministry. You didn't begin your ministry until you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you told your disciples the same. You told them to wait until they were endued with power from on high and they waited in the upper room for at least 10 days, Lord, they, they, they waited and your spirit came as you promised and your spirit filled them and your spirit empowered them and their lives were never the same again. We see Peter, who was timid and shy and afraid, became a mighty evangelist and preached the gospel all the way unto death. Father, we thank you for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that we shall be witnesses to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We start at home and then we go out. But thank you that your spirit comes to empower us to be witnesses, bold witnesses. So Father, may we, ah, may we not quench your spirit. May we not quench your spirit. May we not quench spiritual, spiritual things. May we not call unholy or uncommon the things that are spiritual and that are holy and that are of the Holy Spirit. May we not mock spiritual things. May we never mock the gifts of the spirit. May we never mock the speaking of tongues, but may we honor it and may we honor you. We thank you, Lord, that we are a spirit-filled church. We love you, we love your gifts, and we are open to all of the movings of your spirit. We thank you for what you did on the day of Pentecost, and we thank you for moving within the Way City Church. We love you, we bless you, and we give this time to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen and amen.
We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.